Luke chapter 18. I'm going to jump down to verse 18 uh, and begin reading there. Luke chapter 18, verse number 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All of these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Father, we are wrapping up this story from Jesus Christ's ministry today. And we, I pray, Father, you'll give us wisdom as we learn the last few lessons from this interesting story with a seeker who wanted to to know that he was going to go to heaven when he died and went to the most knowledgeable person, Jesus Christ himself, to ask the most informative question, how can I know I'm going to heaven? And received an answer that shocked him and left him troubled. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Luke chapter 18. The man that stopped Jesus on the roadside or on the temple platform, or wherever he was, was feeling alone. There was something that was missing in his life. There was something that he needed that his religion did not provide him. There was something that left him with an emptiness and an uncertainty as to where he would spend his eternity. And he came to Jesus Christ and felt and believed that Jesus Christ had the answer to his soul's deepest need. We've been looking at this story for a couple of messages. This is actually the third and final message uh, on this story in Jesus Christ's life. And the story ends with some uh, interesting lessons that uh, take a strange twist away from the subject of salvation, at least seemingly away from the subject of salvation, of an individual. 
And the story begins to deal with money. Now, the guy had, had come to Jesus Christ wanting to know how to go to heaven, and Jesus Christ pointed him toward some aspects of money and wealth. But, but then Jesus Christ turned to his disciples and taught them some important lessons about money. You know, money, money really does define us. Our attitude toward money, our, our use of money, uh, how we view the value of money really does define us as people. Years ago, I read a story about Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen, uh, a professional basketball player, grew up as a boy in poverty, didn't have much of anything, his family, grew up in a small house crammed with a lot of family and not having much to enjoy as an individual. And, and then, of course, his, his uh, career in the NBA changed all of that. From 1999 through 2002, his contract promised him at least $14.7 million a year, not to mention endorsements. Uh, he already, by that time, owned a 74-foot yacht and a $100,000 Mercedes. And yet, earning $14.7 million a year and enjoying the benefit of owning a 74-foot yacht and a $100,000 Mercedes still left him empty on the inside. According to his own testimony, and as reported in Sports Illustrated, uh, every game he played in Portland's Rose Garden, he would allow his gaze to drift over to a courtside seat occupied by a man by the name of Paul Allen. Paul Allen was the co-founder of Microsoft and the owner of the Trailblazers and the Seattle Seahawks. A man who had a personal net worth of over $40 billion, with a B. $40 billion. And Scottie Pippen said that that he always would look over and his gaze would, uh, would find Paul Allen. And he would think in his mind, $40 billion. I just want $1 billion. I just want $1 billion. What do I have to do to have what he's got? A guy with a 74-foot yacht, a $100,000 Mercedes, and a $14.7 million a year salary is not satisfied with what he's got. And all he can think of is, what do I have to do to get what Paul Allen's got? You know, money is very deceitful. Money is uh, very uh, addicting uh, to people's lives. And money really does, and our attitude toward money, our use of money, our view of money, really does define us as people. The rich man that came to Jesus, sincere, religious, wealthy, but empty. Because his money and his religion and all the things that he had in life did not satisfy the longing of his soul to know God personally. And to know that his eternity was secure in his God. And so he came to Jesus with sincerity. 
really wanting to know what what must I do to be saved? What what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus Christ had one of the most amazing conversations with this man. As a matter of fact, I ask you to turn to Luke 18, but I want you to turn over to Mark 10. Mark 10 is uh, Mark's account of this same story, but the portion we're going to wrap up with this morning, as we wrap up this story this morning, the portion that uh, that we're going to focus on, there's there's a couple of uh, of statements made in Mark's account that are uh, that are very interesting to me that I want us to consider uh, this morning as we ask the self, ourselves the question, how do we view wealth in our lives? How do we view wealth? This man is empty, and in order to be able to, to be brought to a point of salvation... We learned in the last message that he has to be slain by the law. Paul, in his testimony in Romans 7 and in Philippians 3, made it very clear that the Ten Commandments slew him. He even used that language. When the Bible said in the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet, he realized he was a lawbreaker, that he was not good in the sight of his God, because he was a breaker of the law that God had given to him. And Paul said that was necessary to be brought to the end of himself, to see his religion as not being sufficient to earn him favor with God, to be brought to the point that he was desperate for God to do in his life what he couldn't do in his own life. He has to be slain by the Ten Commandments before he's at a place where he can receive the grace of Calvary. And so Jesus Christ handled him very carefully because he wasn't slain by the law. He was religious. He was good. He had kept the law from his youth up. He saw himself as being almost worthy. And he asked, what one thing do I lack? I've got it almost all put together. What one little tweak do you have to make, Jesus, to make me complete so that I can have eternal life? And Jesus has to bring him to the bottom of himself. He has to bring him to the end of his own self-righteousness. And so Jesus Christ dealt with him on the issue That this man could not escape guilt for. It was the issue of what money meant to him. And he told the man to sell everything that he had and give it away to the poor people. And the man said, if I have to do that, I can't. I want God, but I don't want God that much. I want my money more than heaven. And he walked away sorrowful, for he was very rich. So this story cuts at the core of what it means for a person to be brought to the end of themselves and see themselves as a sinner, broken, separated from God, crushed by their own guilt for their sinfulness, so that the love of God can rush into their lives and Forgive them of their sin and give them eternal life. Well, this was playing itself out. And now we come to the 
moral of the story, if you please, what Jesus Christ had to say to his disciples about what they had just watched and listened to as Jesus dealt with this individual. And so this morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at Jesus Christ's statements to his disciples that taught them about money. Verse number 22, Mark 10, 22, the Bible says that the, the man that had come to Jesus was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So you got the context now. We're jumping in the middle of a story. The man has now walked away. Jesus is left there on the temple platform. He's got his disciples around him. He's got a crowd of people that are there on the platform, the temple platform that day. And Jesus Christ watches as the man walks away, sorrowful, because he loves his money more than he loves God. And he will not be brought to the point of conviction of his sin so that he'll be ready for salvation. And Jesus watches him walk away. Then Jesus The next verse says, Jesus looked around about. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Can you see Jesus there on the platform of the temple? All the people there. Variety of people. And Jesus begins to look around at the people. His gaze falls upon different people there in that crowd. A diverse crowd. Some people that are very wealthy, some people that are very poor. Priests and religious leaders and and people that have come to bring sacrifices to try to alleviate their guilt for sin. And Jesus' gaze comes across the people and then Jesus Christ makes some statements. The statements that Jesus Christ make reveal three possibilities of how you handle or view Wealth in your own personal possession. And we find the first one in verse number 23. Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? How hardly, how difficult for those that have embraced riches in their life. To be able to go to heaven. Here's the first possibility and result. When you embrace wealth, when you embrace riches, when you possess and have riches in your life, it is very hard for you to go to heaven. Well, that's kind of a strange thing for Jesus Christ to say. Hard to get into heaven because you have a lot of money. Hard to get in heaven because you possess wealth. You have means to do things. You have money in the bank. You've got, got a nice house, nice car. You've got wealth. And, and that makes it hard to go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Jesus Christ said it makes it hard for you to be able to go to heaven. That kind of surprised the disciples. As a matter of fact, in verse number 24, the Bible says the, the disciples were astonished at his words. You see, that was strange thing for Jesus Christ to say. They were brought up in a religious culture of Judaism in which they had been taught prosperity uh, and uh, prosperity gospel kind of religion. That, that if you've got a lot of money, it's because God favors you. And, uh, and if you don't have a lot of money, it's because you don't have enough faith. And, and, and you need to have faith and ask God for a lot of money because a lot of money is 
the evidence and the proof that God favors you. That's what they'd actually been taught. You can go back and read the rabbis' writings of that era. You can read the, the, uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, the, the, the record, the writings, the priests' explanations of what they taught. And they actually taught that if you have a lot of money, that's the evidence that God loves you. And, and, and the, having all that money is a great benefit because it enables you to do things that poor people can't do. Things that will earn you salvation. They said if you have a lot of money, you can give money to the poor. They called it alms. Then the rabbis said that when you gave alms to the poor, that removed your sin and guiltiness and enabled you to earn favor with God. And so they were brought up in a religious culture and a religious teaching that said money is a ticket to heaven. And when Jesus Christ said, if you have a lot of money, that makes it hard for you to go to heaven. The disciples were astonished at that. I mean, if you have a lot of money, you can buy the best sacrificial animals. You can give the most money to poor people. You can go into the temple and they had those 13 big trumpet-shaped uh, offering plates, floor stands that opened up like a trumpet pointed up in the air. And they could, they could pour their money and it clanged and it made all kind of noise. And they could go and they could make a lot of racket given their offerings. Kind of like the person that uses a fountain pen to write their check to God's ministry. And then they have to dry the ink before they put it in the offering plate. I mean, they, they actually would, would pour their money into these big offering plates and make a lot of noise because that earned them clout with the people and, and was an evidence that God had favored them and they had earned favor with God and God repaid them by enabling them to have money to be able to use. The religion had taught them these actions guaranteed forgiveness of their sins. And so when Jesus Christ says... This is going to make it hard for you to go to heaven if you've got money. The disciples were astonished. Well, why did Jesus say that? You know, if, if, if you ever take the time to analyze money from a biblical worldview, you'll have to go back to Adam and Eve. And God creating them and putting them in his world to manage his stuff. And that's where stewardship began. God never made man an owner of his stuff. He made man a steward of his stuff. And then he gave man the ability to breathe. The ability to eat food and have strength. The ability to work. And God said, who gaveth you the ability to get that money? It's all God's. It's all God's stuff. And God gives you air. He gives you food. He gives you the ability to, to think and to learn and to gain intelligence. He, he gives you the ability to earn and, and earn money and make things. And, and He gives you the ability to have. And, but it's all His. And none of it is ours. And that stewardship, that I own nothing, that it all belongs to God, and I'm managing his stuff 
for him. But man corrupts that. We say, no, it's mine. I work for this. I earned this. This is my money. This is not God's money. He didn't show up at work and work all day and, and, and earn this. It's my money. Man corrupts God's ownership of all things. Man begins to look at God's stuff as, his, as if it's his own stuff. He begins to use God's stuff for things God doesn't want his stuff used for. He buys stuff that God would rather people not have. He invests in things that, that that's contrary to God's character. And man corrupts God's ownership of all things. And the more you have, the more you tend to look at that resource as your own. And it begins to own you instead of you owning it. And so Jesus Christ said, if you actually have a lot of money, it's going to make it harder for you to go to heaven than if you don't have much money. The more money you have, the harder it'll be for you to go to heaven. I put a little Bible study in your notes there. Wealth. It's all about wealth. Wealth tempts. Wealth chokes out spiritual desires. Wealth blinds you. And wealth dominates you. You know, it's an interesting little study. You can take time to look up those verses. And, and you can get kind of an overview of, of the damaging effects of money in your life. If you have money, it's going to make it hard for you to go to heaven. Well, that's, that's the first possibility. When, when, you, when you embrace wealth and you have wealth... And it makes it hard for you to go to heaven. But notice in verse number 24, the disciples were shocked. They were astonished. But then Jesus answered again. And Jesus had something else to say. Not only does having money make it hard for you to go to heaven, but Jesus Christ said, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, and they were astonished out of measure. I mean, if the first statement of Jesus shocked them, the second statement of Jesus shocked them beyond measure. I mean, it just blew their minds. Well, what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus used an illustration about the, uh, a needle and the eye of the needle, and a camel going through the eye of a needle. There was a saying that was common in the biblical lands that, that if you could take a needle that a woman would use to sew and the little hole at the end of the needle, if you could get a camel through that eye of the needle, then you could accomplish such and so. And so it's a little saying that said the such and so is not only difficult, it's not only hard, it is impossible. The Persians had a similar saying. The Persians had a saying about getting an elephant through the eye of a needle. Interesting, in the part of the world where those writings are found, the elephant was the largest animal that existed in their experience. In, in the Bible lands, the camel was the biggest animal they had in their common existence. So in both places, both cultures had a saying that emphasized the impossibility of something. 
If you can get an elephant through the eye of a needle, you can do such and so. In other words, it's impossible. You'll never do this. Some have, have tried to soften this teaching of Jesus and said, well, there must have been a gate into the city that they called the eye of a needle. It was a narrow gate, and, and it made it difficult for camels to get through it. If they had too much on them, you had to unload the camel, let them go through the gate, and then put the stuff back on them. And it was just, it wasn't impossible, it was just hard. The problem is there's no historical reference to that. There's no archaeological evidence that there was such a gate in Jerusalem. The evidence is convincing that the saying was used of an impossibility. Get a camel through that little hole on the top of a needle? Totally impossible. So in other words, what Jesus Christ said to the disciples that day when they were astonished, he said, well, I'll tell you this. You think that's astonishing to, to say that it's hard for a rich person to go to heaven? Let me tell you this. It's impossible if they trust their money. If they trust their money, it's not only difficult, it's impossible. Riches trusted make it impossible for a rich person to go to heaven because they trust their money to open all the doors. You know, when you get a lot of money, you start trusting your money to make a way for you. If you have enough money, you can go anywhere. You can, you can have whatever you want. Your money is your ticket to get anything you want. It'll open any door. It'll take you any place. And you begin to trust money to provide everything. And Jesus Christ said, if you have a lot of money and you have grown to trust that money, it is impossible. Because that money can buy you sacrificial animals to offer. That money can be poured into the offering plate, make a lot of racket in the temple. That money can be given to the poor, and your rabbis have taught you that that will earn you forgiveness and guarantee your passage into heaven. But Jesus, I'm telling you that it is impossible for you to go to heaven if you trust money in your life. So, two possibilities. I, I, can, I can embrace wealth and make it difficult to get saved. I can trust wealth and make it impossible to be saved. The disciples, when they heard Jesus say that in verse number 26, the disciples were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, they began to look at each other. Well, who can be saved then? Who can be saved? We've always believed, we've always been taught, our rabbis taught us growing up, that money was the answer, money was the key, money was the indication of God's favor, money was the ability to get forgiveness of sins, money was everything. Well, if the people with money can't get saved, who then can get saved? It's a logical question for the disciples to ask. If money makes it impossible for the people who trust in money to go to heaven, who then can go to heaven? Who then can be saved? And Jesus Christ gave a very interesting answer in verse number 27. In verse number 27, Jesus looking on them saith, With men it is impossible, but with God, uh, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now when you put that in the context of the theology that Jesus Christ has been preaching in his ministry in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ looks at his disciples and said, Man finds it hard to go to heaven when they are embracing riches 
in their life. And if they grow to the point where they're trusting their money to get them wherever they need to go, it's impossible for them to go to heaven. But with God, there's something that's possible. God can do what Jesus had just told that rich, sincere young man. God can cause a person to come to the point where they're convicted over their sin. And yes, a wrong use of money is sin. A wrong view of money is sin. A wrong relationship to money is sin. And it's interesting to me that it was that tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, that God used in Paul's life to bring him to the point that he realized his religion was incapable of saving him. And he became convicted of his sin. And he testified in Romans 7 that it was the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, that broke him open to the Spirit of God. And it's the same tenth commandment that Jesus used in the life of this rich, uh, 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 sincere seeker. He's sincere. He thinks he's good. He thinks he's almost good enough to make it to heaven. He thinks his religion has almost got him into the gates. And Jesus Christ uses money to be able to deal with the core sinfulness of his heart. And the man, because of his love of money, rejected the salvation that Jesus could give him. It's interesting to me that that this tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, was used on more than one occasion. Zacchaeus. We'll see him in not too much further. In the next chapter of Luke, we run into Zacchaeus. And, and Zacchaeus scurried up into that sycamore tree. And we'll see that when Jesus Christ saved Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was, a, was struck with the conviction of the sinfulness of his use of money. And immediately when he got saved, he announced, I'm going to give back all the money I've stolen. You realize how many times God used the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, to address the heart of man over man's sinfulness? And so the disciples are shocked that Jesus Christ is saying, if you embrace wealth, it's going to be hard. If you trust wealth, it's going to be impossible. But God can use the conviction of your sinful relationship with money to break you open to the Spirit of God to save you from your sin and transform your life. It'll be impossible with man. But with God, even the salvation of a rich person is possible. Uh, aristocratic lady from, I believe, England back in history announced that she was saved by the letter M. Saved by the letter M? She said, yes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says not many noble get saved. If it had said not any, then I couldn't have got saved. But it said not many. So I was saved by the letter M that was included in that statement of the Word of God. You know, God can save rich people. God can save people with money and wealth and resources. 
when they get to the point where they're broken under the convicting power of the Spirit of God over the sin of viewing money as my own stuff instead of viewing money as God's that He lets me manage for Him. And when I am convicted over whatever sin dominates my life, whatever sin is prevalent, for the woman at the well, it was the sin of immorality. Whatever the sin is in a person's life where, where, where they have broken the law of God, God can save them from their sin. Because with God, there's nothing that's impossible. He can even save a wealthy person. And that brings us to the last possibility of our view and attitude toward wealth. Peter piped up. Peter listened to all, all that Jesus Christ said to this man about giving all away his stuff and, 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 and that it's hard and it's impossible. And, and then Peter said in verse number 28, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we've left all and followed you. Lord, remember when we left our prosperous business? Remember we were making hands? Money hand over fist up there in, in the Sea of Galilee, man. We were fishing every night. We were taking our fish to the market. We were doing well. We were making money. Lord, we, we left our business. We left our prosperous business and came and we don't even have a job now. We just travel around with you as itinerant preachers, depending on the gifts of people to give us something to eat. Matthew said, oh yeah. Said, man, I had a, I really had a good gig going. I was, I was collecting the tax money off from the people up there around Galilee, and then I would send a little bit of it back to Rome to pay their Roman taxes. Man, I had a good profit margin. I was really doing well. And I gave it all up to follow you, Jesus. Here's the third possibility of our attitude toward wealth. It's all God's. It's all God's. Whatever He wants me to do in life, is not attached to money. God's will for my life is not attached to money and my view of money and my view of wealth. Verse number 26 to 31, Jesus Christ announced the third possibility, and that is riches forsaken. Riches forsaken. Verse number 29, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you that no, there's no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my sake and the gospels, but that he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children, lands, with persecution. And in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus Christ said, let me tell you, disciples, there's another possibility. You can embrace wealth. It'll make it hard for you to please God. You can... You can Hoard wealth, make it impossible for you to please God and even go to heaven. Or you can forsake wealth and be rewarded by God. Those disciples who had lost, who had left, who had given up, they didn't lose it, they gave it up. Jobs, professions, houses, resources. They gave up the wealth that they had in life. They said, it's all God's anyway. I, I enjoyed it for a while. That God allowed me to have it. But, but now, God's got something else for me to do. God's got a will for my life. 
And I'm going to go pursue God's will for my life. And money has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's all God's. He'll give me what he wants me to enjoy when he wants me to enjoy it. And Jesus Christ said, anyone, anyone who forsakes houses, family, land, for the sake of the gospel, I will reward them multiple times over here in this life. But the real paycheck doesn't come till later. It comes in in eternity. Forever. The reward for what we use God's wealth to accomplish in His world. Wasn't it neat having those four missionaries here last week? Four interesting families. All walks of life. Different. I heard one of the men praying last night in the men's prayer meeting. One of the men was praying for one of the missionaries that impressed that man. And, and as he prayed, he was expressing to God how that here's a young man, a young family man, a very intelligent man, a man who could have gone into a financial career. He could have gone into different things here in America. He could have done well. He could have earned a lot of money. But he took his wife and the two babies have been born since they've gone. Going to another, he's forsaken houses in America, land in America, even family. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. That they only get to see their grandkids every couple of years or so when they come back to America. And they've forsaken all of that for the sake of the gospel in Madagascar. And what they've given up in America... Take the gospel to Madagascar. God said, you forsake houses and land and family for my sake and the gospels. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward you now in this life. And I'm going to reward you in eternity. You can't outgive God. <laughs> you can't outgive God.